0: Well, let's start with uh, what's your name and what are you known for?
1: Okay, so my name is FC. Um, my hacker alias is Freaky Clown. Um I'm known for being the co-founder and co-CEO of Sygenta, a cybersecurity company here in the UK. Um, I've been in the industry for 20 mumble years, and uh, I've done a lot of hacking, a lot of social engineering, physical assessments, that kind of thing.
0: I was half expecting you to say, "I'm known as the guy who breaks into banks." <laughs> yes, I do rob rather a lot of banks. Probably more than,
1: probably more than anyone in history. If I'm going to be honest, actually, uh, quite a lot.
0: These are true stories from the dark side of the internet. I'm Jack Resider. This. Is darknet diaries as you heard today we're going to hear a story from fc that's his name fc but over time he's taken on the name freaky clown as well now fc or freaky clown grew up in england He sort of raised himself. His family just wasn't around. You could say it was dysfunctional. Grew up in an an area which
1: didn't even have a a village name, right? It was in between two villages. It was two miles either way before you got to anywhere. Um, Computers were my only communication with anyone that had any real sense. You know, my, my parents were around, but not talking to me, um, you know, it, computers became my life. They were the only thing I knew and the only thing I interacted with for many years. Um, so it, it became a passion, it's a part of me, and I can't, I can't ever imagine my
0: life without computers because of that. He borrowed computers from friends at first and then saved up enough to get his own. He had the opportunity to go to college, so he went, at first studying auto mechanics, and then he got into science but along the way, he realized he was really good at computers and sort of shifted to an IT job in his early 20s. I was working
1: as a sysadmin at the time, um, doing some security stuff as well, because um, they always cross over. Um, when the company that I was working for the, the, was going under, um, the, guy had made, the guy who ran it was a terrible person in, in general, actually, but he was terrible at running a company. Um, and so when he started to sort of go downhill, he kind of went off the rails a bit and he started
0: blaming everyone else for it. Uh, this didn't make sense to FC, but the owner was blaming a bunch of different people for things that they did, which was why the company was going out of business. It seemed obvious the owner was trying to find a scapegoat.
1: So he accused me of wiping a PC um, of data um, that he had loaned to uh, an employee who had given it back. And so he actually called the police on me and said he has done all this stuff and he's hacked all this stuff and wiped all this stuff. Um, And it was just part of my job to like wipe it clean because why would we want any of their data on it? Um, it It was part of the policies and procedures that we had. So he I don't know what he was expecting to happen there. I remember the, the police phoned me up and said, we want to arrest you, which is very weird. And so they said, can you come down to the station? So I went down to the, the police station um, and they said, oh, have you got a lawyer? I said, no. They said, well, go away, get a lawyer and come back and then we can arrest you. So I'm like, OK, this isn't this isn't going how it normally looks like in the movies. Right. So I go back with a lawyer. We talk about it. They officially arrest me. Um, and it, it, yeah, it's a little bit scary because they, they were looking through the computer system and they didn't have um, the crime that they were um, co- uh, sort of saying that I did on the computer system. So what they did was they, they looked up and they're like, oh, OK, we'll just put it under attempted murder and just put a note saying it's actually about computers. Now, <laughs> now at that point, I started to get very worried. And so did my lawyer, in fact. Um, but there's nothing else we could do. And just went through the ringer for like, you know, six months, a year almost. Um, um, and thankfully, all the charges were dropped and the case sort of got thrown out, basically. Um, but it really did make me see like, you know, it's very easy to cross that line if you, if you don't know what you're doing. But because
0: I had completely always stayed within the law, I had no problems there. After this sysadmin job fell apart, he got a new job doing sysadmin work again, but with a different company, this time with a little bit more focus on security. And here he learned a lot about how to make computers secure or insecure, and the security side of things really interested him. So he quit that job and became a full-on penetration tester for an information security company. And this is where clients would hire him to come and try to break into their place or steal things or get access to stuff that he shouldn't be able to get access to. This typically involves a lot of social engineering, calling people on the phone and lying to them to get info or posing as someone else to get access. One day he got assigned to do a physical penetration test on a bank
1: so my first engagement with the actual bank um was absolutely terrifying um it was a a massive building in london and it's not a a normal bank right it's not a, a normal high street bank this is a international bank that does finance stuff with other international banks all they do is shift vast amounts of money this one in particular had a gold bullion vault And uh, the client came to us and said, look, can you break in and maybe steal a
0: bar of gold? Well, that's an ambitious objective To grab a gold bar from within this bank and to get it out? But by that point, Freaky Clown had already done many physical penetration tests, where he's paid to test the physical security of a building to see if he can break in and gain access to stuff he shouldn't be allowed to. So he's confident in himself and has a variety of tricks and skills he can use to bypass weak security. And now this bank has asked him to rob them. So I'm like, okay, that sounds interesting, let's do it, right? First he does some reconnaissance. He wants to go down to this bank to see what security is like. But instead of going down during the day, he waits until two o'clock in the morning to go down there. And the reason why he's going so late is because maybe he can tug on a few doors to see if any of them were left open. And there might be a back service door or a window left open or something. So he just goes down to take a look. So he drives to this bank, which is right in the middle of London. Walks up to the building.
1: I'm wearing sort of of dark clothes, and I'm mesmerised by this building. Right, I'm just looking at it, like, holy crap, this place looks like Fort Knox, but worse, right? So I'm like, oh my god, how am I gonna break into this place? And I, I stood there just completely mesmerised for like ages. When I hear someone from behind me, so like, give a cough, like. (coughs) like so sort of, yeah just interrupting me and I'm still mesmerized with his building so I'm like what and he's like excuse me mate uh what are you doing and I'm like well I'm trying to work out how to break into this bank and then I turn around and see the two policemen that have just asked me this question <laughs> And it's like oh hang on let me explain my
0: job right now because this is going to go really sideways He had to spend the next hour explaining to the police what he does. And there were a few phone calls that were made to confirm his story, too. But eventually, they let him on his way. Freaky Clown knew this night was ruined, so he left and came back the next day. This time in broad daylight. The night guards were on to him, so he had to try a new approach. This particular bank had just spent a million British pounds upgrading the security on the front of this building. It was absolutely airtight in every way. He literally could not make any progress coming through the front. But this isn't a regular bank where customers are just walking in off the street. This is more of a business-to-business kind of bank where there aren't any tellers at all and nobody's in the lobby except for security guards. So if you go through the front door, there's no place to go if you don't have the right access. So the front was just not going to be the way in. But in the back was a service entrance that didn't get the same security upgrades. FC figured out a way around back and you got past some restricted areas and into the building.
1: So I managed to get in through the back of this building and I got onto this floor where the security vault was where the, the gold bullion stored and I thought it'd be like super secure right you're expecting guards with guns or something but um I just walked up and the vault was like just open they just leave it open during the day because they need to get in and out right so they only shut it up at night so if you're in there during the day you just walk in and then I picked up a gold bar and believe me they are really heavy they're nothing like you see in the movies
0: <laughs> like yeah I wasn't going to carry two out let's put it that way He picks one gold bar up and puts it in his backpack. Some major progress here. But now he's got to get out of the building because if he gets caught, security wins. But if he can get out with the gold bar in his backpack, he wins. Now keep in mind, this is a place that customers don't get to walk around in. And there's this massive security at the front door so if you're seen in the building chances are people are going to think you're supposed to be there i don't tend to get nervous around
1: things like this right it always happens after the fact so in the wash-up calls or in the wash-up meetings later i'm just dripping with sweat and looking like a, a homeless person right but during the test it's just a uh, I i switch off and I, I do the job right so i get this gold bar and i'm like cool i've got the gold bar and i put it in my backpack and i, I go down two flights of stairs and i'm going to the exit and i'm at any moment i'm expecting someone to jump on me but nobody is giving uh, like you know, any glance at me, I'm so, I'm just walking out of the building. I hit the exit button. I go through the turnstile and that's it. I'm out on the street. It it was honestly that easy. It, it sounds in, incredible, but that's what it was. Whoa, he did it. He robbed the bank. It, it's an odd thing. Um, yeah, I, I just went around the corner. I called the client said, I've got, got the, all of the, uh, things that we needed to get done and so let's meet up in the lobby and then we'll go through it all so it's not like it was in my possession for a long time it was like maybe 10 15 minutes at most um but the feeling i get when i when i achieve all of the goals that a client sets out is is kind of like a bit of ambivalence really it's like well i knew that was going to happen uh because that's that's what we do right it's it's our job is to to go in and get it and the the trouble with a lot of social engineering is you're almost always going to succeed right so i've been doing this for a long time and apart from two issues uh, with clients screwing up things i've got 100 percent record of doing this and it's not because i'm i'm like this super amazing social engineer it's just that's the way it goes right you only have to slip in you only have to like get in once it's it's really not that difficult to do
0: if you're if you've got the time and the patience to do it we're going to take a short break but stay with us because coming up more bank robbery stories freaky clown sort of loves these weird missions and who won it right this is exciting work but there's one physical penetration test that he'll never forget
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we had a a hospital actually um fairly new um, they they had just um, built a helipad at their hospital, and they wanted to know if it was secure. right? So they, they called us up and they said, can you steal a helicopter for us? And
0: I'm like, I'll give it a shot. Why not? <laughs> well, a helicopter? This is going to be good. But it's not just about the helicopter. The helipad itself is what really should be secured. The hospital wanted to make sure that there was no access to this by anyone other than who was supposed to be using it. They don't want some drugged up patient accidentally wandering onto the helipad and getting hurt or some bad actor out there sabotaging it or some hooligans doing something else.
1: I go to this hospital. I spend like a, a one night recon, um, you know, freaking myself out in, in medicine places under under the, the hospital where like we got into some tunnels and stuff there are certain areas of a hospital right that when you do a hospital test you're you're not allowed to go right you're not allowed to go into the children's wards you're not allowed to go into the maternity wards you're not allowed to go into surgery but everywhere else is basically free free sort of rain right um but there are certain areas that are restricted to hospital staff so what you have to do is look at the the maps and the 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 great thing about most hospitals is they have, like, um, massive public access areas, right? So you can just wander around and pretend you're a patient. Um, And then there's loads of, like, fire marshal maps around. So once you study those, um, you can kind of work out the areas that you're allowed to go in and the areas that you're not allowed in. And once you figure out the areas that you're not allowed into, it's very easy to sort of steal scrubs, for example. Once you get that, that sort of almost uniform then you can you can tailgate people into the areas that you probably shouldn't. And a lot of doctors and nurses, they do a fantastic job and they're massively overworked. They are not thinking about security and they're especially not thinking about some some guy trying to break in, right? So tailgate your way into these areas, look around a bit, eventually you find the areas where um they they only have very restricted staff. And that's where it becomes a little bit more difficult because it's not general purpose. Medical staff that have access to these areas is only very specific people. So you have to work out
0: where those areas are and then figure out a way to get in. Cool. This is some good recon. Maps of the building, scrubs. He knows where the helipad is, but it's not publicly accessible. He thinks he now has a good idea of where he needs to go the next day. So day one is over.
1: Went back to my hotel room, weirdly
0: tripped over something in the night and hurt my foot. Specifically, his toe hurt a lot. He tried to sleep the pain away, but in the morning, his toe still hurt a lot. He's hoping it'll just go away because after all, he's got a helicopter to steal today and there's no time for a hurt foot to be slowing him down. So he goes back to the hospital, but now he knows exactly where to go to try to get to the helipad. He gets to the door that he thinks will lead him there, but the door is locked and he doesn't have a key and he doesn't think it's safe enough to try to pick the lock. So he does a different trick.
1: And one of the ways I got into the area that I I needed to was I used a pen, right? So what you do is if you want access to a door and no one's around and and you want to tailgate through it, right? And you, you don't have any kit to, to bypass the, the RFID reader or whatever. You place a, a, a large pen up against the door jamb, right? So the, the crack between the door and the door jamb itself, right? And then you walk away. So when someone comes through the door, the pen falls into the gap. And then it stops the door from shutting again, right? And so that's the trick that I used to get to the area that led me up to the helipad. So I use this gigantic pen put it up against the, the the gap of the door someone came through a couple of minutes later door didn't shut I went up to it opened it walked through so it's a really nice simple trick right so I go I'm, I'm going up the stairs towards the helipad and I suddenly realized I've other than being told the model of it I know nothing about helicopters so I find my friend uh, a colleague at work and I'm like hey dude I need to know how to get into this make a model of helicopter right and i i swear to god i have never had a moment that has been more uh more like the matrix than this moment right where i'm running up to the stairs and i'm like asking how to get into this helicopter just just like trinity does right the, uh, and so uh, <laughs> we get up onto the helipad and there's no helicopter it, it's literally just not there so I, I, ph- I phoned the client and he's like oh my god i didn't think he'd actually get there um, we haven't actually taken delivery of the helicopter yet. <laughs> so it's like, oh, great. Thanks. Well,
0: that's over then. Wow, <laughs> oh, this almost seems like a mission from Grand Theft Auto. But it seems like this was a success, even though he didn't actually steal a helicopter. So my toe, I'd, I'd hurt my toe um, overnight. And
1: uh, it had been getting more and more painful throughout this test, right? And and you do a lot of running when you're doing social engineering tests, running up and down stairs and running through corridors or whatever, running away from security guards. Um, but my toe was absolutely killing me. And so when the client, after I'd, I'd spoken to him about the missing helicopter, he's like, okay, let, let's come up to my office, um, which is up this massive hill. And I said, like, do you mind if I don't? Because my foot really hurts. So he was like, okay, I'll, I'll meet you at the hospital. So he came down to the hospital and uh, It's like, how's your foot? It's absolutely throbbing. So he has a look at it and he's like, I think you've broken your toe. And I'm like, what? So he escorts me to uh, where the A&E entrance is, right? So our emergency room um, section of the hospital. And I go into the emergency room and uh, I have to wait for a bit and then go and get x-rays. And it turns out I had actually broken my toe, um, (laughs) which is uh, annoying. But um, what was funny was a lot of the staff then knew that I was there for doing this, this attack, right? Because um, the word had already got round. Um, and so they, they were actually really cautious with me because they thought this was actually part of the assessment. And I'm like, I'm, I am not going to break my own toe to get into somewhere I shouldn't, right? <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's some lines that I just won't cross and, and destroying myself to do that is is one of them.
0: So he had his foot treated at the very hospital that he broke into. Crazy. He did penetration testing for that company for a number of years, and it wasn't always physical penetration testing. Often he would find computer vulnerabilities on the network too, which made him get better and better at hacking into computers. Over and over, he was given the green light to try to hack into a company, and many times he found something which got him access to data that he shouldn't have access to. So with all this practice, he was getting really good at offensive hacking and breaking into buildings. After a while, he was able to get a job at Raytheon, which is a research and manufacturing company that develops technologies like uh, aircraft engines, avionics. Yeah, cybersecurity software too.
1: Based out of the US, but they have a, a UK contingent over here.
0: FC joined their team. His job was... Head of offensive cyber research.
1: So, basically, Raytheon are a, a kinetic company. Um, they're the people that, that build things that fall from things or get shot from things. Um, and they have a offensive cyber capability, as do many other defense firms.
0: He wasn't willing to go into any details about what he did at Raytheon as head of offensive cyber research. But just judging by that name alone, offensive cyber research... It seems like Raytheon is possibly building cyber weapons, like maybe a vulnerability or some software to attack an enemy with. Let's not forget, they also make missiles and other kinetic weapons for the U.S. government and other governments. And let's also keep in mind that places like NSA and U.S. Cyber Command carry out cyber attacks all the time. So, yeah, I guess there is a market for this. And I guess it makes sense that Raytheon might be building cyber weapons, too. At the very least, I can imagine Raytheon is pretty well equipped to build software to exploit airplane systems, right? Since aviation is one of their specialties.
1: They're very entwined, obviously, with governments all around the world, like foreign and domestic
0: ones, right? Um, So that's very much part of my life. Hmm. I think I see where this is going. I'm just now connecting the dots here. F.C. was doing offensive cyber research at Raytheon. Raytheon's biggest customers are governments, which he said became a big part of his world. So... Did you work for any of the intelligence agencies of the UK, though? I I can't comment on that, obviously. Hmm. Okay, fine. I won't push on this anymore. But what seems obvious to me is that the tech and infosec experience he was getting with some top-level stuff. Working with a massive Defense Prime is phenomenal. You you have everything you
1: ever need. The trouble is it is wrapped up in red, red tape. Um, and whilst I know that the work that I did um, with them was, you know, it was really beneficial to a lot of people. Saved a lot of lives, saved a lot of uh, things happening. Um, took a lot of drugs off the street it's like all of the good things right i, I know that i did all that i knew that when i was in that role i was serving a lot of good things however it wasn't what was in my heart i wanted to go out and do more things that would help more more people and, and help help the nation as a whole right help the nation of the uk and others um just improve their security because it's it's all well and good spending loads of time building these things that help in an offensive manner or a defensive manner
0: but it it's all for naught if the whole country isn't good so he quit his job at Raytheon. Him and his wife started a new company called Sygenta, which is a cybersecurity company. So we 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 built this, this uh, phenomenal company. It's
1: global. Um, and we do a ton of outreach, right? So this is the big thing for me is it really reaches back into my childhood. I had no one there to guide me, no one to tell me what was a good thing to be doing, no one to sort of give me that moral compass. I had to find that myself. And so... We see, we just released stats today, actually. We have seen over 6,000 children face-to-face this year alone.
0: Actually, we recorded this last year, so those are 2019 stats. But he still goes to a lot of schools to meet these kids. That's going to schools, doing events with schools. You know, we're part of the
1: NCSC's um, Schools Hub program. We're part of uh, Teen Tech. We're part of a whole bunch of other things that get us in front of kids to talk to them and inspire them about cybersecurity and and kind of show them that there's this
0: fantastic career that they probably don't even know about and the teachers probably don't even know about. I like this because teenagers committing computer crimes is a big problem that not many people are willing to try to tackle. Teens can stumble on a powerful and dangerous weapon like an exploit or denial of service tool and launch it upon someone not even knowing it's illegal or malicious. Or they might have a curiosity towards tech or just need guidance to use that curiosity for good. So FC goes to school and gives free talks to teens. Generally they start with, I rob banks for a living, right? Which always gets
1: everyone's attention because they're like, hang on, isn't that a criminal thing? And then we sort of go into it. It's like, how do I do it? Why I do it? Why it's not illegal when I do it, but it would be illegal if other people did it. Um, And so it just tries to capture their imagination a little bit about there are some interesting jobs out there that you may not have heard from your careers advisor.
0: Very cool. But some talks he gives students are really quite powerful and eye-opening to them.
1: One of the things we do is we'll get people up to show them how spearfishing works, right? So this is all well and good. If, if I get on stage and I perform a spearfishing attack or any kind of hack, right, I've already introduced myself as a... Uh, a hacker, and I've been doing it for many years, I've got loads of skills, if I get up and do a thing, then everyone's like, well yeah, he's a hacker he's going to do that, right? But if we get someone up from the audience, and we talk them through how to do the procedures, even if it's something simple like a spear phishing attack, right, using the SE toolkit, then, then it becomes really more impactful for them, and for the audience, because the audience is like, oh my god, like this person who has never done this before, is able to Put in all of these commands and then take over this network like really easily in like 20 minutes. How easy is it for someone with actual skills? So it becomes a lot more impactful when you see someone who doesn't have those skills originally. And it doesn't take a lot to really show someone how, how easy it is to do.
0: Mm. I mean, I'm, I bet some of my audience is wondering wait, aren't you teaching some of the bad kids <laughs> to do bad <laughs> well, things?
1: Yeah, I always get this question like, oh, sh- shouldn't you be careful what you're telling people, right? You shouldn't be teaching people how to pick locks. You shouldn't be telling people how to break into places. It's like, okay, criminals are going to crim, right? It doesn't matter what you do. Um, you can teach them stuff and they may go and use it, but there's going to be a whole bunch of kids that will take it and and make a good thing out of it. And it's more important to decimate that information and hope that most people are gonna be good guys, than it is not giving that information on the off chance that there might be someone maybe that does something bad with it.
0: Now, while teaching kids about hacking is something FC does a lot, it's not the primary goal of Sygenta. The company needs to make money and going around giving these free lectures is just a dream come true for him. But to enable him to do that, Sygenta works with clients to improve their security. Yeah, essentially. Um, but we, we want we wanted to do it in a way that
1: encompasses physical, digital, and the human side of cybersecurity.
0: Yes, the human side of security is still an important factor to test and make sure that the people in the office are able to stop potential attacks or criminals. Which leads us back to another penetration test that Freaky Clown did.
1: I was asked to go and do a, uh, a physical assessment against a, a very large government site in a european country right so not in england it's in a country that i don't speak their language right um and i didn't have time to reconnaissance myself um i had to rely on someone else that was there so i, f- I phoned up my colleague and i said look i know you don't know physical stuff but can you go and check out this building for me right you're, you're in the country it's it's not far away from you just go and check it out and then look at all of the security issues and just relay them back to me Right. So he phones me back a couple of hours and he's like, hey, man, I've I've checked out this building and it looks cool. Right. Like there's there's loads of entrances. There's no cameras. There's very few security people around. It's going to be a breeze. And I'm like, OK, that's that's a bit different to
0: what I was expecting. But cool. Freaky Clown hops on a train a week later to head to this country to do the work. While on the train, he looks over his objectives and it's simply to gain access to the building he thinks he could probably at least get into the front door and from there he might be able to convince reception that he wants to use the restroom or something so okay but at the same time why not try to go to every floor in the building and all the buildings in the campus and just try to access as much as possible just to show his client how successful he was so he arrives at the building And I turn up at this site,
1: and I swear to God, it is the most secure building I have ever seen in my life, right? I don't know what building this this guy had looked at, but it wasn't this one. Uh, I turned out, uh, afterwards I found out they have 300 CCTV cameras, internal and external, right? Um, And they're watched 24-7. They've got one really well-guarded entrance, and within the building are policemen moving in groups of two and they have guns. Right these are, now. These
0: are security guards?
1: No no no. These are actual genuine police in this building, right? This is this is a government site. They have proper people in there. It's not just like flyboy third party security group. It's it's like genuine people.
0: Okay, this does sound hard. FC doesn't speak the language, so his social engineering tricks just don't work here because of the language barrier. He can't even read what any of the signs say on the building. So, he takes a closer look at the front door to
1: assess the situation. Can't walk through the front door, they've got a revolving door
0: um, with RFID. So, you need an RFID card just to walk into the front door. And yeah, while it's possible to clone one of these badges and get through the front door, the security measures didn't stop there. Once you get into the door,
1: it's all made of glass so you can see this. There's reception to your right, there's two reception staff, there's four security guards, then there's uh, further, um, security gates, like, you know, the tiny little sliding glass ones. Um, so I'm not going to be able to jump over them I'm not going to be able to distract one of the or both of the security staff. There's only me on site, so I can't use any distraction mechanisms. Um So that's going to be really difficult. So front door is out. It's just too heavily guarded. He walks around the back of the building to see what else is there. Back door, side door, All of the side doors are shut. They're all one-way one exits. You know, everyone has to go through this thing. They've got a a loading bay but that's pretty well covered with cameras so it was like can i get into the building so at this point i'm thinking no i literally can't there's no way i'm getting into this building whatsoever so i actually phoned up my account manager and i said to him look um i can't do this like i'm not getting into this place and i'm not even going to try because to be honest i can't speak their language and the only thing that is stopping them from shooting me is a letter that will be in my back pocket. And I don't know if you can picture the scene that was in my head at that time, which was I break in, I get seen by two policemen who pull guns, who are yelling at me in a foreign language, and then I go to pull something out of my pocket (laughs) as proof that I should be there. I don't think that's gonna go go well at all. So I'm like, I'm not doing it, right? I'm just not doing the thing. And he's like, I knew you'd say this, but you always pull it off to just, think about it overnight and and go back. So I'm like, all right, whatever. So I I recon the building for a couple more days, putting it off as much as I can. And I'm like, shit, how am I gonna get into this building? This is truly well-guarded.
0: FC kept going back to the building to look around at different times of day, trying to figure out if there's any weaknesses at all in this building so that he can get in. He notices something at the loading bay the trucks pull up for deliveries he looks around there for any opportunity to get in but he's not sure
1: Um, but it has a unique um physical layout right so it's these two ramps that come down to the door so it's it's an underground loading bay Um, and as i'm looking through um options into how to get in i'm up really early one morning and i'm looking at the building and i just happen to be around the back of the building when I notice that the sun at a particular time of day is shining down one of these ramps and is basically just highlighting one of the cameras and it's then that I realised that if that sun is shining on that camera at that time it's probably whited it out and it can't be actually doing anything, you can't be able to see anything unless they're really lucky and got some really good light optics on it, it's probably going to be the only way in, so I had to wait until that time the next day, and then quickly run down that ramp and get in through the loading bay
0: whilst it was open, and then <laughs> hope that nobody saw it. Sure enough, that camera wasn't able to see at that exact time of day because the sun was blinding it. If you were staring at the footage from that camera, you wouldn't have seen him walk up, you wouldn't have seen him open the door or go in. But All you would have seen is one frame where his foot went into the door. This worked. FC was in the building and nobody saw him or stopped him. And so
1: I, I get into the building, I'm into the loading bay and it's pretty much empty. And there's um, some glass doors right at the back going into the offices and yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm pretty relieved. I'm still expecting someone to turn up any second because they're, they're probably pretty much on the ball. And... I see some people walking past this glass door and the door's locked, right? So I can't be opened from uh, the loading bay side because I don't have a key or anything like that, right? And so I'm banging on the glass trying to get someone's attention and eventually someone sort of sees me and it's like, looks at me quizzically through the door and I'm like, I forgot my pass, I can't get back in. Um, yeah you know, hoping that they sort of understand english and i'm gesticulating with my arms <laughs> as much as i can and eventually he just like opens the door for me so i'm like okay cool this is this is actually pretty cool i walk into the into the main office area and i walk about i don't know 20 30 feet to my left and i take a right and standing in front of me are two of these security guards, right? <laughs> and all I can fixate on is their handguns. And they're looking at me, and then they sort of just say hello, and I just sort of nod at them and wave, thinking this is never going to work. Like this is going to last like 2 seconds and I'm arrested. And they just just nodded at me and walked off. And I was like, "Oh my god, like have I just got away with that? Is is that how easy this is going to be today?" And so I I wait until they're out of sight and I just run it, run off, like just peg it down this corridor, up some stairs, until I can find like a toilet to sort of sit in for a bit and just gather myself and be like, oh my god, how the hell did I get away with this? This has like been fluke after
0: fluke, Um, that, that was one of the scariest moments I think for me. Well, he's in the building. This was his mission. But of course he wants to see what other things he can access. So after he calms down in the bathroom for a minute, he comes out and carries on, walking down the halls, looking for any interesting rooms to pop into. This government
1: building had um, a really nice sort of auditorium for hosting other governments, and they had a lot of translation booths, etc. Um, so I managed to get into uh, one of the sort of translation booths, parts right so like where the interpreters sit whenever you look at a movie and they're like got the people with the earpieces talking um you know translating stuff that that's where i was stood in one of these things and i started playing with the kit around me and i noticed that there's there's actually some really good network kit hidden in the cupboard so I, i i got the cupboard open and uh put in a raspberry pi into the into the network so i just plugged it in configured it and then just left it there so that we could like remotely access that network from outside the building
0: raspberry pi is just a mini computer it's about the size of a deck of cards it's easy to hide and it's perfect for hackers like him his had a cellular connection on it so he could access it from home or anywhere in the world and then once he accesses this raspberry pi he's on the network inside this building so he's got inside access to stuff and from there he can hack into the place further if he needs to He keeps exploring this building, and something he saw when he was walking around outside is that this building complex actually consists of three buildings. And there's a little bridge that connects each building from one to another. And he finds the bridge that goes across to the other buildings, but there's a problem. Man traps. A man trap is like a little glass room, just big enough for one person to enter. The goal is to remove the option for people to tailgate through the door with you. One person enters, the door closes behind them, trapping them in there and they have to show their ID. And that might be a badge or a fingerprint or an eye scan, which proves their identity and the opposite door opens, allowing them through. Many also check the weight to make sure you aren't carrying anything big through or that two people aren't coming through together. Now, I probably would have looked at this and said, forget it, it's impossible to get through that and go somewhere else. F.C. thinks of this differently.
1: Yeah, but this is the point, right? So um, my, my job is not to get in and do the thing, right? Like whatever the goal is, whatever the client wants me to do, that's not really my job. My job is to push the boundaries until I get caught.
0: So he's determined to get across this bridge into that other building. But in order to do that, he would first have to go through one man trap just to get onto the bridge, And then once he's across the bridge, he has to go through another man trap to get into the next building.
1: And so I had to basically tailgate through those and that that becomes a little bit more awkward because if you're in a man trap, you generally don't have a lot of room. So I waited until I found someone that, that kind of looked a bit nervous anyway. Right? You, you know sort of the the milk toast type person where they're just not very confident and you, you know that they're not going to answer you back or anything like that if you if you get argumentative with them so i saw this one guy he must have been you know, mid-20s something like that quite young looked nervous as hell maybe his first week or whatever and he goes into the the man trap and i literally just run straight into him Slam straight into him and we're like oh my god sorry mate I didn't see you there I was trying to get through the man trap door so we're now face to face like almost cheek to cheek in this little man trap as as it's like revolving round and we're like sorry that was really awkward and and so he he doesn't know what to do with himself and I'm just trying to make it more and more awkward by getting closer and closer I didn't need to you know there was plenty of room for two people in there but the more awkward you make it, the more uh, the more likely they are not to confront you about it. So we get out of that one man trap and we go to the next one. And obviously it's not expecting two people, so I have to cram in with him again. And now it's slightly less awkward for him. This is now the second time he's been in very close proximity to me. Um, but he he still doesn't know how to react to this. So I'm just trying to wait for this door to revolve round, And we, we get out to the other side. And this is, I know this building is the one that has the main entrance, right, to so the main extra, exit point as well. So I say sorry to him again, and I sort of go off in opposite direction. Probably the, the weirdest thing that's probably ever happened to him in his, his entire career.
0: So I run down some stairs. I get into, like, the main reception area. He's now at the front entrance. He wants to try to leave the building in order to accomplish this mission. But to get out, there's a little gate there's a reception desk and a security desk, but remember, you need a badge just to open the front door, and then another badge to get through this gate to get into the building. And all I'm doing
1: is thinking, "Oh my god, like what if what if they need the tag to get out?" I'm going to approach a security desk and there's security guards there. Um, and if it needs a tag to get out, I'm kind of screwed. Right, so I'm trying to put on a brave face as I go to this exit and thankfully it's just an infrared beam that sort of detects if someone's there and it just opens the gate and I walk through and just okay I really hope that I'm going to make it between like you know sort of these security gates and the door which is only like 30 feet but if someone is going to stop me at any point it's going to be now and I sort of just push the door open walk out out onto the street and then run
0: away. (laughs) Like I say, there's there's always running to do in social engineering. Nice. He did it. He accomplished the objective, which was just to get into the building. Not only that, he got into two buildings and planted a raspberry Pi for further exploitation later. Now, FC likes to try to dress like the people who are supposed to be in that building. And this way he can blend in better and looks like he belongs. So I always dress how my target
1: audience is, right? So a broken the first time at the beginning of the week into this building looking exactly the same as everyone else and no one really paid me any mind right so broke out went back the next day slightly dressed down um again no one spotted me so by like the third or fourth time um i was dressing a complete slob right so i had like really ripped jeans i was still wearing my baseball cap i had like a fake tattoo sleeve on t-shirt like with the logo on it all the stuff that they they shouldn't be allow, allowed to wear in this building and nobody was still paying me attention so part of my job is to like take photographs of like um evidence of where i've got to right so i'm thinking okay i i need to step this up a little bit so i go back down to reception and um i'm like hey um i forgot my my jacket is upstairs i need to get something out of my car can can you let me back in when when i come back and the receptionist is like yeah sure no problem and so I go out to my car and I get a, a massive SLR camera right with a huge lens on it and I come back in and the receptionist funnily lets me back into the building because she assumes that I work there right um so I walk back up onto the I think it's the finance and HR floor right so quite a restricted floor and I'm like right, how much can I push this so I stand on a chair Right? which is not normal office behaviour, well, at least in the offices I worked, um, I stand on chair and I start taking photos with this massive camera of, like, you know, unlit desktops and uh, all sorts of security issues, right? When all of a sudden this woman appears from out of nowhere and she's like, excuse me, sir. And I'm like, oh, great, someone's finally spotted me and is going to ask what the hell I'm doing there, right? And she's like, excuse me, sir. Um, are we going to be in a magazine? <laughs> And I'm like, kind of, uh, let me just carry on taking some photos.
0: It's bizarre what you can get away with. By the time the assessment was over, Freaky Clown had gained access to all three buildings and had poked around on every floor of each of them. While the front door and exterior looked impenetrable, he still found numerous ways in, which allowed him to build a report for his client, who was happy to see all the ways they can improve security. Obviously, they had taken this very seriously, so they wanted to make it better. Over time, FC has done many more penetration tests and physical assessments. And one thing he keeps getting jobs doing is breaking into banks.
1: So at one point, I was um, breaking into eight high street banks a week, right? This is how many I was doing at one point. Um, so we working down the country to all these banks. And one of the area managers didn't understand the test or the point of the test. And he thought we were there to sort of really show him up. So what he did was he called all of his uh, branches and told them that we were coming in, which is a big no-no, right? So I rock up to this, uh, this high street bank and I'm sort of ushered to one side, which is a bit odd for the story that I've given them, right? Um which I'm not gonna give you because that would get you access into basically any bank, right? So I I get um get ushered to the side and I'm like, okay, this is a bit odd. Like ten minutes go past, twenty minutes go past and I'm like, oh man, this is this is not going right. And all of a sudden blue flashing lights appear everywhere, armed response come into the bank and it's like, Oh mate, what have you done? Um, so I had to explain to them what my role was and what my job was. And I was there really trying to rob the bank, but not really as a criminal, um, which is always an interesting conversation to have with police.
0: Now, when a social engineer gets caught, typically they try to figure out a way out of the situation to lie or make up a story just to get out of it. But since the actual police were involved, he knew he had to come clean with why he was there. So there's a couple of fails in this was one, the client
1: telling telling the branch that I was coming but two, the branch massively panicked. There's a whole set of policies and procedures that they should go through if they think they're under attack like this. Uh, what they did was they circumvented most of them and went straight to calling the police. Now the interesting thing there is if it, you know they, they were charged with uh, wasting police time and you can only have about three to five of those per year before you get blacklisted so if if they had any more of those then they're not going to get armed response that quickly right because it's just going to be the police will be like well they're wasting our time it's it's a ridiculous rule but it does happen um so they they really messed up with that one really badly but the interesting thing there is um i i obviously have a letter explaining who i am and what i'm there to do and i have authorization etc but um Yeah, know, this was one of the very few times I've ever had to produce it. But the thing is, I'm always carrying two. And the second one is actually a fake. And so that fake one has basically the same information, but with numbers that relate to colleagues, right? So when the branch manager phoned it up, they were actually phoning a friend of mine. And he said, no, 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 he should definitely be there because we're testing that procedure as well. Like, are they doing everything that's written on the letter which says phone them using your internal phone system don't use the numbers that are here and if they're not following that then that's another fail for them
0: yeah when the police are involved you just don't want to play games with them so he had to come clean on everything and they called all the people who he said gave him permission to do this and they found that everything was legit so they let him go but freaky clown doesn't always go on site to rob banks Sometimes you can just rob them through the internet. Getting into banks over the internet is
1: probably even easier than physical assessments, right? Because you can you can hit anywhere on their on their environment to get in, right? There's there's always loads of little flaws that you can take uh, advantage of. Whereas, like, what are you know, some of those flaws? So a, a lot of cross-site scripting, a lot of SQL injection. Um, you know. Bad, uh, bad configurations of network defenses. Um, using some interesting techniques where you kind of blend a bit of the physical and the digital side. So sometimes what we've done in the past is created a physical device. Um, break into the bank itself, implant that physical device, and then then use that to gain access in. And and this really comes back to the the whole core of Sygenta, right? Is it's like if you don't have physical sorted, then it doesn't really matter how good your defenses are digitally, because we'll just use the physical bit to get past all of that. Um, so yeah, there's a, a ton of techniques that you know a lot of pentesters use to, for getting into sites, but because it's a, a bank doesn't make it any better to be honest um you know there's generally a little bit more lacks in some areas because of they're so huge they can't always update everything that they need to do
0: while he's hacking banks networks over the internet he's sometimes able to fill his bank account with money yes <laughs> so so one, one of the pictures I love
1: to show to, to kids when we're doing a lot of outreach and I'm talking about how we how we rob banks and how we how we sort of do all these fancy things is I showed them a picture I took uh, some years ago of uh, an ATM of my account so after doing one of these um, assessments. And it, what it does is it um, it shows a picture of about five or six different accounts. Um, and in each one is more than a million pounds that we've taken out. Obviously, we have to give the money back. That's, you know, that's part of the ethics of it. Um, but it shows that once you're into those systems, you can very easily transfer out money to wherever you need to. Um, and a lot of the defenses that banks use are it's very complicated because they they have people that know how to transfer money right like bulk money and they have people that know the computer systems but they have this weird separation where they go okay the people that know how to transfer the money don't understand the technicalities that they need to circumvent and the people that know how to circumvent the technicalities don't know how the money sending process works so we're kind of okay with that Um, But when you get uh, an ethical hacker that comes in that knows a bit of both, then that's when all sorts of trouble can happen. And then you can literally just siphon out millions of pounds out of the bank systems into other accounts.
0: After hearing this, I think most companies aren't ready for a skilled social engineer to break into the building to try to steal real assets like this. Office workers get a yearly security training where they teach you how to spot phishing emails but I don't think it teaches you how to handle a phishing call or a person asking you to open a door for them because they forgot their keys and their jacket upstairs. We want to be nice and helpful to others, and often we are. It's often said that the human is the weakest link in security, and scammers and criminals can manipulate people to carry out attacks a lot easier than manipulating a computer. But what's also true is the human is often the strongest link too, With the right set of eyes and a well-trained staff, it can drastically reduce the vulnerabilities in the office. There are troves of stories about how one person ruined an entire plan for some hackers. Like, for instance, when a hacking group broke into a bank and attempted to transfer money to their accounts, it was a human who saw that transfer was a little odd and decided to flag it to be followed up on And sure enough, it was not an authorized transfer. And this one person stopped this cyber attack, which took months of planning and preparations. So I think if you want to have a secure environment, it really needs to be the job of everyone in the office to help keep things secure. Starting with the CEO or president and working its way all the way down to the nightly cleaning crew. With proper training and education, the human can be the strongest defense to cyber threats. And in fact, a lot of times, our only hope. Thanks so much to FC, Freaky Clown, for coming on the show and telling us your stories. This show is made by me, the Hash Smasher, Jack Reciter. sound design was done by the curator Andrew Merryweather. editing helped this episode by the devilish Damien, and our theme music is by the Space Senpai, Breakmaster Cylinder. And even though, somewhere in the world, a company was just breached. And the CISO said, how is that possible? We're PCI compliant. This is Darknet Diaries.